0: My name is Joshua Vying. I'm the youth pastor here at Waters Church, if you're not familiar yet uh, with me. Um, and I just, uh, I'm just so thankful to be able to, to come up here and talk to you guys today. I'm thankful for uh, our very own Pastor Tim with uh, entrusting me to come here and speak to you guys this morning. I, I believe that God has given me a, a fresh word to speak to you guys this morning, so I'm, uh, I'm excited about it. I'm very excited about it. Um, we're going to be in 1 uh, Kings this morning. 1 uh, Kings, uh, we're going to look at a, a, a piece of the story of a man named Elijah. Uh, if anybody in the room here is familiar with the story of Elijah, I just want to let you know, no, we're not going to go through the entire six-chapter story of Elijah, okay? You will be out, out of here for football, okay, on time. Well, actually, wait a second, the Patriots ain't playing until 8.20. Oh, you guys got plenty of time. No, I'm just joking. We're just going to look at a, just look at a piece of it. Um, actually, a few months ago this summer, uh, we did a, a, a series called All In that was on the entire life of Elijah. It was like a three or four week series uh, in our Elevate High School Youth Ministry. I, I spoke in there on it, and it was, uh, it was awesome. It, it was really, it was about being all in on our faith in Jesus. Not being halfway, not being just a piece of it, but all in for Jesus. And it was, I think I got just as much out of it as the teens did. Um, and I say that to say this, if you have a teenager uh, that doesn't go already to our youth ministry on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m., man, bring them. It's, it, it's a good time. It's a good time. All right, there's my shameless uh, pitch for Elevate. Uh, now we'll keep going. But no, um, I, I told Tim, too, I said, you know, I said, I said, honestly, I said, I can't remember a time where God spoke to me more in a series than, than reading about Elijah's life. Like, really, there was just something intimate about it, uh, that God just really spoke to me through Elijah's life. I, I, I don't know what it is. It's something about us as humans, the way that we're, we're kind of made, where we kind of gravitate towards things that we can relate to, right, or people that we can relate to. Like, like for instance, I'll just, I'll just tell you, because some of you guys are looking at me a little weird, like, like a week ago, I, I no, it wasn't quite a week ago, I want to give myself more credit than that. A few days ago, I went to the gym, probably the first time in a month, yes, I'll admit it. All right. But I was going and I said to myself when I got there, I was like, I want to listen to something different because I've been listening to the same songs day in, day out. Let's see what I used to listen to a few years ago. So I pulled up my phone and I started doing the whole, you know, dig deep thing. I mean, I went way back in my playlist and I got probably way down. I started to look and all of a sudden my songs started to get depressing and more depressing and more depressing. And I'm like, what am I going to cry on the bench here while I like live? Like, what was I doing to, and then it dawned on me, was like, oh, yes, I remember that relationship and how it ended. Yes, that's right, you know? Because there's something weird about, we, are, we, grav, we gravitate towards things that we can relate to. I don't know what it is. It's like if you're discouraged, you want to be around something else that, that makes you feel like, oh, you're, somebody else is going through this, right? And that's just, and I don't know. I think there's something about Elijah where I just can relate to him. You know, like he's, he's a, he's, he's a guy that gets used by God. Absolutely. But he doesn't have it all together. And that's me. Like he, I can relate. I can relate to that. So, um, so yeah, we're going to do it on Elijah. But what I really want to talk about today is this word faith. I want to talk about faith. Now, I don't know what anyone in here is going through right now. Maybe, maybe life is going good for you right now. I don't know. Or maybe, I mean, I'm I'm not naive. I know we all have struggling times. We all have seasons sometimes where we're discouraged. Maybe this is one of those seasons for you where you've been a little disappointed because of what's going on in your family or with your marriage or with your children or maybe something with your job or just a circumstance that you're in. You're just discouraged. Or maybe this year's just been a tough year for you and you're to the point where you're starting to ponder, am I actually depressed? Like, I, I, I don't know. But I believe that whatever feeling that you're struggling with right now with that, that it is connected to faith. It's connected to how healthy our faith is right now. Are we discouraged in our faith? So, so what I want to do first, I want to take a look at this, this word faith. And I want to I look at the definition of it. And the awesome thing is, is we don't even have to go to the Webster's Dictionary to know the definition of faith. We can just go to the Holy Bible And God wrote down exactly what faith means, right? So so let's take a look at Hebrews 11.1. Okay, this is what it says. I think they're going to bring it up. Yeah, they are. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's what faith is. So what's the opposite of hope? Hopelessness discouragement, dismay, right? These feelings, that's the opposite of hope, right? Like if you lack hope, if you don't have any hope or any faith in your life, then you get discouraged, right? You feel hopeless. You feel in dismay. You feel anxious, right? This is what happens, But how how do we get to that point? How do we get to a point where we start to struggle with these feelings and we start to feel discouraged in our life? I think the answer is is right here in this this verse, right? Because it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. See, I believe that we start to struggle with our faith and struggle with hope When we focus and rely too much on what we see, on what we see around us, when we start to focus in and rely on the circumstance that's going on around us and starts to discourage us, right? Like, like for instance, the job that I'm in right now is not what I saw myself doing 10 years ago when I was in college. Or or my marriage isn't the way that I saw it. You know, my husband or my wife is not not the person that I saw myself marrying and thus I'm getting discouraged with them. My children aren't turning out the way that I thought they would and it's, you know, I saw them turning out so differently and it's starting to discourage me and depress me. Why? Because we are relying too much on what we see. And it's starting to discourage us in our faith. So I want to, I want to, What I want to do today is I believe through this passage in Elijah, God wants to give you a spiritual eye test today to see what you're focusing on. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to read 1 Kings chapter 18. So if you could, you can open your Bibles up to that and stand up with me. We're going to read this together. I'm going to open mine too and read it with you. All right. Oh, first, do you guys want to know the title of my message? Okay. Three people do. So that's good enough for me. I'm going to tell you it. It is called, it's all about the kiss. All right. Wives, you can turn to your husbands and say that if you want. It's all about the kiss. i no, just joking. All right. Let's, uh, singles. No, you don't have permission to do that. Okay. All right. Verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go and look out towards the sea. The servant went and looked, and looked. then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. And this is God's word. You guys pray with me for a second? Father God, we are all gathered in this building right now and in this place for one reason and one reason only, Lord. We want to hear from Jesus. Lord, no one came here to hear from me. So, Lord, I pray that you put the words in my, in my mind and in my mouth of what you want to say to your people, Lord, and take out of my mind anything that, that, that's not from you that you don't want them to hear. Lord, I pray that you just open the hearts of every single person in this room, Lord. Let us receive what you want to say specifically and individually to each person in here, Lord. And Lord, let everything that happens in this place bring glory to you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. You guys can have a seat, thank you. All right, so I wanna give you guys a little context first of what's going on here in this, in this passage, okay? So what we're seeing is, is the nation of Israel is just coming out of a three-and-a-half-year drought, okay? Things have not been going good for the nation of Israel. Like, it's been a three-and-a-half-year drought, right? The crops are dead. The food is gone, or it's scarce. There's no water, right? I mean, everything is, like, dried up. It is, it is bad. And, and, and Elijah is coming off this, this climactic high, Right where where he just got done performing one of the most amazing miracles, God just revealed Himself to everybody up on the mountaintop, right? Because what just happened before this was Elijah challenged um, the prophets of Baal, the people in Israel that were that were worshiping this idol. Right? He challenged them to say, hey, if that's the real God, then tell Baal to bring down fire, and I'll call on the real God who created the heavens and the earth, and ask him to bring down fire, and we'll see who the man is. We'll see who God is, right? And guess what? God showed himself in a mighty way, and boom, brought down fire. And it was one of the most amazing things. I mean, if you've never read this story before, I'd encourage you to go back and read it. It's exciting, right? And you're just like, yeah, like, this is amazing, God is using Elijah and whew, he is, he is doing something here, right? And then we get into this passage where it's there's kind of a different scene playing out here. Right? Like, like look at verse 42 for a second. Look at verse 42. It said, it says, So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed in that weird yoga position with his face between his knees, I don't know, but he was praying, right? But, but, but then it says next, it says next, it says, then he said to his servant, go and look out towards the sea, right? Because Elijah, he wants to see if his prayer is being answered, right? So he's praying, he's telling his servant, go look and see if God's answering my prayer right now, right? And, and his servant goes out, and it says that his servant looked, then returned to Elijah and said probably the most, four most discouraging words any of us could ever hear. I don't see anything. I didn't see anything. Foremost discouraging words, I didn't see anything. You prayed, Elijah, I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything happen. See, I, I believe many times, guys, that we have the wrong or the false expectation in mind. Right, like we believe that when we pray, when we take time out of our day to kneel down and to pray to the Lord, that something should happen. That God should answer that prayer right away. Like we should, we should see something. Right? Like, like we almost have this, this, this weird false belief and none of us would admit to it. Even myself, I wouldn't admit to it. But deep down inside, we we think that, that the, the God of the universe, the creator of heavens and, and earth, right? The alpha and the omega, that he should be working on my time, right? I'm praying. I'm taking time out. God, I should see something here. And, and when we don't see God do anything, what happens? We start to get discouraged, We start to feel like maybe maybe God forgot about me. Did I do too many things wrong? Why why is God not answering my prayer? Like, like He should be doing something. I don't see anything happening. Right? Like I've been praying for my husband for years and I haven't seen any change in his life. God, what did you did you forget? Like I've been going to church, I've been praying. Why, Why is there no change in his life? Right? God, I've been praying for my finances. You know, and you know my rent, pay- my rent payment is coming up next month. And I've seen nothing more happen. I've been tithing every week. I've been listening to Pastor Tim's messages. I've been coming to Waters Church. And man, I've been praying every day, Lord, and I see nothing changing. And my rent payment's due. What's going on? What's going on? Why? Because we are so focused on what we don't see. And we have the wrong expectation. I believe there's two truths that we have to confirm in our hearts about God for us to get the right expectation in mind. Okay? Two truths. The first one is this. When we don't see anything, God is always up to something. When we don't see anything, God is always up to something. Yeah, I look at this, I look at this, passage here, and I see that here's Elijah praying. Servant comes back and tells him, no, I don't see anything. What's Elijah do? He keeps praying. Sends his servant out again. Why? Why didn't he just stop praying? Why didn't he just get discouraged right there and just say, no, nope, never mind. I don't care. I guess God's not going to listen to us. No. Why? Because he had the right expectation. He knew it wasn't on his timing. He knew, he knew it was on God's timing. You know, Daniel in, in In the book of Daniel, Daniel went through a similar thing where he prayed for three weeks and didn't see anything happen. Three weeks he asked God for an answer for the nation of Israel, and God said nothing to him. And then all of a sudden, after three weeks, after three weeks, God sends an angel, a messenger to Daniel. And this is what he says in verse 12. He says, then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. And I have come in answer to your prayer. Since the first day, Daniel, that you've been praying, God heard your prayer. You may not have saw anything, Daniel. It may have looked like nothing was happening. But let me tell you something. God was up to something. Even when you didn't see anything. I I, I wish my mom was here to speak on this. Because, boy, she could speak on this a lot better than I could. Because my mom... This woman, I mean, God bless her, she is amazing. She prayed for 12 years for a young man. 12 years she prayed for a young man and saw no results. She saw that. I didn't see a thing. 12 years and she saw nothing. And then all of a sudden, after 12 years, at 28 years old, I gave my life to Jesus. But after 12 years, she saw nothing. She used to she used to tell me, she told me, she's like, man, there was times when I just wanted to give up. I was like, there's no way that God is going to do anything. There's no way that God's going to reveal himself to you. Like, maybe it's just not going to happen, right? But she kept praying. Why? Because she knew that even though she didn't see anything, God was up to something. And he was. And he was. Because during those 12 years that I wanted nothing to do with him, God blessed me with the job that I have right now. See, this is the thing. I didn't come from this area. I'm actually born and raised in Maine. And then from Maine, I ended up, and I went to college up in Maine. From Maine, I ended up living in Philadelphia. Because God got me a job in Philadelphia. But then, God orchestrated enough where my job transferred me up here to Massachusetts. But not to Foxborough, to Natick or Framingham area. But then from there, right, I ended up getting into a relationship with a girl that I should have never been into. right? But I ended up moving to Foxborough because of this relationship. And the day I moved to Foxborough, this girl breaks up with me. But the interesting thing is, is even when we make mistakes, even when we do things that we shouldn't do, God can still use those things sometimes for his glory. And that's what he did there, right? Because I would have never found Waters Church if I would have never moved to Foxborough. And I would have never been here and gave my life to Jesus if all that didn't happen. See, God was orchestrating something even though my mom saw nothing. And then the job that I have right now, the job that I have right now, which I'm blessed with, right, gives me the opportunity to have enough free time where I can come in here and work on stuff for the youth ministry. See, God knew that he wanted me to do this ministry someday, even though my mom didn't see it. And he was orchestrating, giving me this this position and this job and changing things in my life for this very purpose. God was up to something, even though my mom saw nothing in her life. But something interesting happens here because, yes, at first, Elijah sees nothing. But then, 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 then something happens, right? Verse 44, if we can put it up here. It says, finally, the seventh time, the seventh time that Elijah prayed and told his servant to go check, it says his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of, of a man's hand rising from the sea. A a little cloud, about that big, rising from the sea. Now, let's be honest with each other here. It's been three and a half years with no rain. And this is how God answers your prayer? This? A a cloud that big? Like, what's that going to do, sprinkle on a little tomato plant? Like, the whole entire nation hasn't had rain in three and a half years. Like, like California's got nothing on what was going in this drought. Three and a half years of no rain. And then when God finally answers Elijah's prayer, it's this little insignificant looking cloud. Now, we know the rest of the story. We just read it. We know that that little cloud God ends up using in a significant way and ends up bringing a terrific rainstorm over the entire land and, and floods the land with water and everything else, right? But Elijah didn't know that at the time when he saw that. And this is the thing I want you guys to to remember. This is the second truth that you have to confirm in your heart if we want to have the right expectation in focus, all right? It's this right here. What we see as insignificant, God sees as significant. What we see as insignificant, God sees as significant. So that job that you're in right now, That job that you think is just a dead-end job, a dead-end role it's not going to go anywhere. It's not where you saw yourself being, and you just think, man, I I know I prayed to God for a a job three months ago, and this is the job he gave me, but it looks a little insignificant to me. Let me tell you something right now. Now, you may see it as insignificant, but trust me, that job is significant to God, because somebody's going to come into your life through that job that God is going to allow you to speak to, to advance his kingdom for his glory, and you're going to plant a seed in that guy's life, and eventually he's going to come to know Jesus because of that insignificant job that God sees as significant that family member or that person that 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 you care about that you've asked again and again and again to come to this church to come in you're like oh God if you would just please please just work on this person's heart just to come into church just once just one time let them see you Lord have them come into church when pastor Tim is preaching obviously but have them come into church right Have them come into church, man. I know that they're going to give their life to you, Jesus. Yes, yes. And then God answers your prayer, right? And they end up coming to church, and then they don't come back again. And then months go by, and you don't see any change in their life, and you start to think to yourself, well, that was pretty insignificant. I don't see anything. Let me tell you something. You may think it's insignificant, but to God, that was significant. Because that moment that that person came into this church, God planted a seed in their heart. And even though on the outside you don't see it happening, on the inside God is doing something in their life. He is molding them. He is shaping their heart. And there's transformation happening in their life. That ministry, and this, this bums me out a lot because I just, I know how people think sometimes about this. But that ministry that you are doing here, that you may think, ah, well, yeah, it's, it's a little insignificant because I'll be honest, I know that most people think, oh, what happens up here on the stage is the most significant part of the ministry of the church. Wrong. Every ministry in this church is just as significant to the Lord. So that that ministry that you're doing, that ministry that you're doing, that, that, that you signed up for, and you're saying to yourself on Sunday, like, ah, I just don't feel like going. I know I told them I'd be there, but I'm not going to go. It's insignificant. Like they're not going to know if I'm missing. No, I'm sorry. Trust me. It is significant because God wants you to be here that morning because he's going to bring somebody in for you to smile at, for you to for you to love on, for you to speak to, for you to shake hands with. And it's going to open their heart out up that they're going to see who Jesus is through your life when you're here greeting them. That ministry is significant. Or maybe... Maybe you just feel like in your life, that your life has just been insignificant. Now, I told you guys before, I'm going to be real. Like, I've felt things before too. I know how it is. Maybe, maybe you've struggled with this for a long time where you just feel completely insignificant. And your life doesn't matter for anything. Let me tell you something. When you give your life to Jesus, the one who is significant, right? He turns your life into something significant for his glory. Or or I should say in a better way like this, he turns your life into the biblical terms into something holy, which means set apart for God's purposes, right? Your life is no longer just some insignificant thing. Your life is for the glory and the purpose of our heavenly father who's above all and over all. That's what your life becomes, Your life is no longer insignificant. But the story doesn't end there, okay? It'd be nice if it did, because this is kind of exciting, watching Elijah, you know, having this supernatural strength and outrunning chariots and horses. Like, man, I wish I had that. Boy, I would have been the best track runner on my high school team ever. But it doesn't end like that, because see... This is what happens in the next verse. Probably the weirdest shift I've ever seen in somebody's life in the Bible. It says in verse 19, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. And then some of the most un some of the most surprising words that I've ever read came out next. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Elijah was afraid? Like you're talking about the same Elijah where he spoke and, and there was a drought for three and a half years, the rain stopped. The same Elijah where where a child was dead and and he prayed to God and God raised the child from the dead. The same Elijah that that prayed to the Lord to bring down fire from heaven and he brought down fire for heaven. The same Elijah that when he prayed again, God ended up turning the faucet on and rain poured out through the whole nation. Like, you're afraid? Like, Like, I'm reading this and I'm like, man, if this was me, And this Jezebel woman said that to me. I'd be like, have you seen the God that I talk to, that I serve? (laughs) Like, he can do anything. But for some weird reason, Elijah forgets everything that God did for him. You know, just just a side note, this doesn't even go with this. I was just thinking this right now. But isn't it interesting how, how easily we will forget every time God answers a prayer and blesses us, but how we remember for days when God doesn't answer a prayer? You know, or it doesn't answer it right off. But, but I'm looking at this and I'm wondering, so why is he afraid? And not only is, is Elijah afraid and anxious, but, but then in like a couple of verses later, Elijah says, I've had enough, Lord, he said, take my life for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Like I, I'm, I'm going to go out on limb here and say that Elijah is almost borderline suicidal. Like he is struggling here. He is discouraged. He's depressed. He's anxious. He's afraid. And I started to look at this and I wondered, why is he feeling like this? And then I realized, and I want you to write this down your notes. This is the second eye test I want you to do. Elijah was focused too much on his current situation. So here's the test. Are you focusing too much on your current circumstance? Are you focused too much on the situation and what's going on around you right now? It's like we talked about in the beginning. The more and more that you focus on what is going on around you, it starts to discourage you any, even more. The more you rely on what you see in your circumstance around you, the more that you start to feel hopeless. And this is what we see with Elijah. He is so focused on what Jezebel said and what is going on around him that, that he's starting to get discouraged. And this is the interesting thing. This, this is the interesting thing about when we focus too much on our current circumstance. We start to get more and more anxious, and we start to get to a point where we get, like, this survival instinct where we start to think that I got to get myself out of this, right? And we start to try to get out of the situation. Or, or or, better yet, if somebody else got us in this situation, somebody else did us wrong, we start to feel like they, it's their job to get me out of this. Like they better apologize to me. They're the one who put me in this situation. They better do something about it, right? And we we rely thinking that they're going to have the strength to get us out of that situation. But this is the interesting thing. We don't have the strength to get out of the situation. Or we wouldn't have been in it in the first place. Like, just ask somebody. Just ask anyone that you know that struggled with depression in their life. Ask them if they had the strength to get, to get over that depression. They'll tell you. If I had the strength to get over it, I would have never been depressed in the beginning. But they didn't. So how do we keep ourselves from focusing too much on our current circumstance? There's another truth that we have to confirm in our heart about God. It's this right here. We don't have the strength to change our circumstance, but God does. We don't have the strength to change our circumstance, but God does. Let me read these next couple of verses to you. It says, Then Elijah laid down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough what? Enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. So what gave Elijah the strength to move forward? The food did. But where did the food come from? Came from an angel sent by the Lord. So God gave Elijah the strength to move forward. See, we don't have the strength to change our circumstances and our situations, but God, God does. See, this is, this is where that, that verse in Isaiah really comes into effect, where you confirm this in your heart in verse 40, where it says, those who wait upon the Lord will what? Will renew their strength. Those who ask from the Lord, those who pray to the Lord, those who trust in God will renew their strength. See, that's what we have to start to confirm in our hearts is that I'm not going to sit here and rely on what I see going on around me because that's going to depress me. That's going to put me in a deeper and darker hole every day. But I'm going to rely on knowing and trusting that my God has the strength to get me through any circumstance and anything that's going on. He is in control. That's how we keep ourselves from focusing too much on our circumstance. I want to finish this, uh, this passage here because I think the story is really, really cool how it ends. you guys mind if I, if I finish the story? Okay, that wasn't a rhetorical question. I'm finishing it anyway. No, I'm <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so like I said, Elijah's up on a mountain. He's speaking to God. God's speaking to him. God tells him to anoint a king of Aram, to anoint uh, a new king for Israel who's going to be Jehu. Then God tells Elijah that he's going to, Anoint a new prophet that's going to take Elijah's place named Elisha. He's going to be your predecessor, Elijah. So we're going to pick up right here where Elijah goes to, to see Elisha, to anoint him as the new prophet that God's going to raise up. So, Oh, do you guys remember what the title of this message was again? It's all about the... That's right, okay. I think we're going to see that right here. So it says, so Elijah went and found Elijah, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elijah was plowing with the 12 teams. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. The cloak was signifying that God had a calling on Elijah's life, that he was anointed in that moment, right? And then it says, Elijah left the oxen standing there ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I'll go with you. That verb to kiss" in the original Hebrew language, right? that word, that word the Hebrew verb for that word to kiss only shows up twice in the entire first and second kings, only twice. Once right here, where Elijah kisses his his old life goodbye and follows God. And and once, back in verse 18, when Elijah is up on the mountain talking to God and God says to him this, he says, yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. See, what that word kissed is symbolizing here, it's symbolizing when God's talking to to Elijah, the, uh, the abandonment the Israelite nation, abandoning God for their idol. It's signifying that they are saying to God, this is my source now of happiness. This is my source of life. This is my source of hope. This is my source of joy. And they are abandoning God with that kiss. And then and then the amazing thing is, is then when we see it again with Elijah, God is showing us a 180 degree difference with this word now. Because now he's showing us a man in Elijah who is now kissing his parents goodbye, abandoning his old life to follow in the calling that God has for his life. The last part of this test, this eye test that I want you guys to have is this. Are you focused on what you have? or what you have in Jesus. See, because Elijah had a lot. Like, this guy wasn't poor. He had 12 teams of oxen. He had these fields that he's plowing here. He had land. I mean, that was a good amount of stuff for back in that day, right? It wasn't like Elijah was sitting here and said, I got nothing, so I might as well follow God. Like, I got nothing else. No. Elijah had a lot. But everything he had He didn't hang on to. It wasn't as important as what God had for him. It's who God was in his life. See, I I know that none of us have some weird statue in our house somewhere that we bow down and kiss and worship. Okay? I'm making an assumption here. I hope you don't have some statue in in your house that you bow down kiss and worship. If you do, please don't tell me. Right? Now, I, I know that we don't, but, but this idol is, is showing us something deeper than that because we can make idols out of anything today. Like, like we, can, we, we can sit there and make an idol out of finances And say, you know what, I'm just going to make my whole life about my 401k and my retirement. I'm going to make sure I have enough money and my life is going to be about making money so that when I'm 62 or 65, I can retire and I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be on a golf course somewhere, golfing for the rest of my life. And this is what's going to bring me joy. This is what's going to bring me peace, my retirement. That's what it is. And we start to make an idol of that over God. We can even do it with children, you know, And, and and I know, and I know it's easy for us to think this is a virtuous thing. Like, it's my child. I should put them number one in my life. Yeah, yeah, number one, but not above God. See, but we'll, we'll end up saying, no, listen, my kid comes first. So if my kid's got something going on, I can't go to church. God, you come second. My kid comes first because I want him to be happy because that's where I'm going to find my happiness. That's where I'm going to find my acceptance is how good he turns out in life and everything else that goes on in his life. That's where I'm going to be happy. And we start to make this our idol. And what God shows us here with these these Israelites, when he says, I'm going to preserve the 7,000 that didn't kiss Baal, what he's showing us is everyone that made an idol out of Baal, that kissed Baal, ultimately it led to their destruction. And those idols that we make in our life, I'm telling you, in the end, it's only going to bring us destruction in the end. See, because I'm not saying those things are bad. But when they become idols and they become your focus and your source for your hope and your happiness and your joy and your life, then it becomes really bad. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I know the stock market's doing good. Trust me. I, I can look at my 401k. It's doing pretty good right now. But let me tell you, it's not going to do good forever. There's going to be a time when that stock market going to change and some of your money is going to go. Or there may be a time, and I I hate to even say this, but I've seen it in in my life so many times, people that that put their retirement as everything, as their end-all, be-all, everything that they put their hope into, and they end up retiring, and they find out six months later that they have terminal cancer, and they got three months left to live. And everything that they've put their hope into is now gone. I've, I've seen it with people that have done this with, with, fan, with their children or with their wife or their husband. And they put all their focus and everything in that. And that comes before God. That comes before worshiping him. That comes before church. And then let me just give you a little secret here, okay? Because I was once a kid. I've grown up a little bit. Eventually, your, your kids are going to grow up. And eventually, they're going to go away. And they may not talk to you for a month or two. They may not be around for a few months. And if all your hope and your acceptance and your joy comes from that kid, when that ends up happening and they end up putting you out of their life, everything in your life is gonna come crumbling down. that's what we see. But we see Elisha, who even though he has stuff, God is more important. And the coolest thing about Elisha I'm gonna finish with this. The coolest thing about Elijah is, is God is painting us a bigger picture here, okay? God is painting us a bigger picture with Elijah. Because when, when, when we see Elijah leaving everything behind, leaving his family, leaving his, every, his old life behind to, to follow in the calling that God has for his life, what we are seeing is a picture of Jesus. Because even though we were like those Israelite people that have abandoned God, Because all of us have at some point, I don't care how good you are, the Bible says, yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were all sinners, right? So we've all been that point where we have abandoned God, and maybe maybe there's somebody in here today that you've still kind of said, well, I don't know if I believe in God yet. We've all been there before. But even while we were like the Israelites that abandoned God, what we see with the story of Elijah is what Jesus did for us. That he left everything he had in heaven, his power and his riches, and he came down to earth to follow through with the calling and the purpose that God had for Jesus, which was to go to the cross, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins, to conquer death, hell, and the grave so that we could have a relationship with the Father again. See, the story of Elisha with the kiss, leaving everything behind, is actually a bigger story of the gospel.